Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. It is June 22nd. It's a Monday. Thanks for listening. The show is made possible by fantastic patrons of the program. Patrons such as Paul, Gene, Ben, Eugene, Michelle, Trudy, and Lori, and David, and Brent, and Juanita, and Shan. I appreciate all of the support. Couldn't do it without you. Uh, you can also become a patron of the program just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com. There are links at the top of the page there. And uh, it's basically, it's a Patreon platform. If you're not aware of how Patreon works, people uh, support creators uh, directly through Patreon. And you get stuff, by the way. You get stuff. Not that you're doing it to get the stuff, but if you would like a couple of bumper stickers, and if you want to have access to the exclusive content that we put up on the uh, the Patreon site, such as the prep sheet, but also the live streams that we do uh, once a week, Thursday nights, uh, folks who are patrons get to participate in the, uh, the live stream. So look forward to you joining, and... Uh, it's all at thepetecalendarshow.com. I want to read to you a quote. Uh, this is from a prominent opponent of erecting monuments to the Civil War, to the Confederacy. Uh, this is a, a quote from a prominent opponent. Quote, I think it wiser, moreover, not to keep open the sores of war, but to follow the examples of those nations who endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife and to commit to oblivion the feelings it engendered. Who said that? It's a famous opponent of erecting the monuments. I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you who said it in a minute. First, I want to talk a little bit about one of the sponsors of the program, that being Mattress Man. Could not do the show without the good folks at Mattress Man. All of the sleep consultants over there will help you get a good night's sleep by getting you the right mattress. People sleep differently. And I know this might come as a shock to a lot of collectivists, but yeah, everybody is different. People are individuals. We have different ways that we sleep and uh, different beds, the way they are constructed, therefore have different uh, benefits for people uh, based on your sleeping positions. And so uh, I'm not an expert on this. I couldn't tell you what position works best for which people, but I do know that my memory foam mattress is fantastic. My wife and I bought it several years ago, um, and uh, we love it. It's a king-size memory foam. We call it like the big marshmallow because when you sit on it, it, it actually it kind of resembles a marshmallow, the memory foam, but also when you sit it, you just kind of sink in and it it just supports all of the pressure points in your body. It's fantastic. Now, maybe you don't want a memory foam. Maybe you want a traditional inner spring mattress. Well, Mattress Man has those too. They've got all of the best mattresses, like, for example, uh, the Nature's Spa newest brand of mattresses by Par uh, Paramount Sleep. Uh, it is a series of hybrid mattresses. It's sold through Bloomingdale's, for example. Uh, it's featured at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. They have the Restonic Biltmore mattress line. These are made in Fayetteville. These are at the Biltmore Inn 
and uh, hotel. So uh, you know they're great mattresses, high quality. So go on over to mattressmanstores.com or go into one of their stores. They are practicing all of the COVID safety protocols. Uh, They have five-star delivery service. They do ship nationwide. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee. You'll experience the difference at Mattress Man. Find the local store nearest you at mattressmanstores.com and peruse all of their inventory. Buy local and sleep better. So who wrote that? Who wrote the, uh, or said the, yeah, wrote, I should say. Well, he said it and wrote it. He wrote it and said it. It doesn't matter. It's a he. I've already given away too much. The famous opponent of erecting Confederate monuments, who said, quote, I think it wiser, moreover, not to keep open the swords of war, but to follow the examples of those nations who endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife and to commit to oblivion the feelings it engendered. Who said that? Robert E. Lee. He was so sensitive in his final years with trying to extinguish the fiery passions of the Civil War that he opposed erecting monuments, whether they be on the battlefields, whether they be for him, he opposed it. He would not even participate in a um, uh, an effort that historians were undertaking to um, to chart all of the battlefield movements of Gettysburg. He refused to participate. He says, why do you keep like picking at this? Just let it go. Let it die. He did not want to be um, helping to you know promulgate uh, this civil war any longer. So uh, now look, you can say that, I don't know, maybe he didn't want all of these monuments and such because he had been so, uh, I don't know, scarred, traumatized by the war and what it had done for, you know, to all of these people and such. But uh, even Robert E. Lee did not want these statues up. He did not want these things to be memorialized. Now, uh, you may reject that. It doesn't matter. I, like, I'm not telling you in order to persuade you. I'm just noting that the guy who is memorialized in all of these statuary forms did not want them. And I don't know. I think that that might be relevant in the discussion. And this is a very difficult discussion to have, despite how easy it seems for some folks on the left. And we're going to get into sort of that mindset as to why they're going about doing this. Um, But always keep this in mind that what we are seeing is the left going after its own, right? This is, these are, right, these are Democrats tearing down Democrat statues. And so, I don't know. I think like there's part of it that's okay. You know what? Let them let them have it. And this is, I think, a political trap that Republicans all too often walk into. I'm not a registered Republican. I am unaffiliated. I do tend to vote more for Republicans because they are closer to my views on a great many things. But I generally try to find the candidate uh, that I have control to vote for, right, in my district, in my city, in my county, and uh and in my congressional districts and such, I, tar- I try to vote for individuals and I try to find people that are closest to my views. And sometimes I can't find them. And sometimes I leave races blank. OK, so I say all of that. And a, a standard disclaimer, anytime I'm talking about the Confederate monuments. Also, I recognize that me being originally from New York, uh, my opinion is very easily dismissed uh, particularly among Southerners. <laughs> I, I completely get it. I understand. I'm not trying to tell. This is why. This is why I don't make recommendations, and I don't tell people this is what you need to do. 
you know, because it's too easy to just dismiss what I'm saying because I was born and raised in New York. And it doesn't matter that I've lived most of my life here. It doesn't matter that I made an active choice to stay in the South. It doesn't matter uh, that I have uh, distant relatives that were burned out by Sherman. It doesn't matter I had relatives that fought on the Union side. It doesn't matter that my like brother went to the Citadel. It, none of this stuff matters, right? The only thing that matters to people who seek to dismiss whatever recommendations I come up with is that I was born north of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> That's all that matters. So, And I recognize this. It's an easy way to dismiss uh, any opinions that I might uh, promote. So w- w- my view on this, for those who are interested, has always been more monuments, not fewer. My view on this has been if local jurisdictions want to try and take down certain monuments because they no longer hold significance or they no longer represent the community values, which change over time. And if local jurisdictions want to do this, they should be allowed to do that. And uh, the North Carolina Republican Party passed in when they uh, in 2015, they passed legislation to try to uh, short circuit a lot of these local decisions that were getting made. Um, and a lot of those decisions were getting made because of Donald Trump. But again, keep in mind, this is Democrat on Democrat action, right? There, which is kind of funny. If you think about it, just sit, just step back and think about all of the racisty Democrats throughout the history of America. Because look, the Democratic Party was in control of American government uh, for a very long time, right? Decades. And uh, so, uh, you know, chances are that if uh, your family or your state or whatever had a lot of notable elected leaders over the last century, chances are they're Democrats and chances are they're really racisty, right? Because back then, Everybody was really racisty. All the white people were really racisty. That's I, 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 like that's just most people were. I think it's what it seems like. I mean, how else do you like live in a society that allows for the ownership of a human being? Again, this is not a Republican principle. A conservative principle is not that you get to own somebody. Heck, we don't even like the idea of having to pay taxes, right? <laughs> like because that's seen as some form of like, well, then you're owning the fruits of my labor. I mean, slavery is sort of the apex of that idea. Racism is the lowest form of collectivism. It really is. And if you think about it like that, it is totally at odds with the philosophy of limited government, free market capital. Um it, it is at odds with what the Republican Party says it stands for, says it stands for, right? And this is the trap. A lot of these uh, vandals and the the uh, the people who are tearing down the statues, what they're doing is uh, they're goading the right into coming out in favor of the Confederacy. That's the point. And there may be a contingent that votes based on that alone, that, that their single issue, pro-monument, pro-rebel flag, whatever, you, like that's their single issue. Um, I don't think it's a very large percentage. I think there's also another thing going on. I think it's the uh, it's an anti-Southern attitude, but it's that anti-Southern attitude is masking what is really at play, um, and I'll get to that. But if you walk into the trap that now you're going to defend, and by the way, they this is they they seek this out. They want you to defend it. I have encountered it personally. 
I've just told you what my views are on the monuments, right? I've just said that, generally speaking, I want the cities and counties, you know, if it's your local property, then you should be able to make those decisions for your community standards. Um, I think you should have the ability to do that. Generally speaking, I would prefer to see more statues, not of the Confederacy, but more statues uh, that recognize the true uh, context, a larger context. So put statues of freed slaves and tell the story about uh, the atrocities, right? Uh, or, you know, change the monuments or take them down. Like, I'm open to all of these possibilities. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. The local community should be in charge of making those determinations. Now, even when you know this, you know my position, I still get attacked by the left for defending Confederate monuments. Me. So what does it tell you? It tells you that they're trying to make you be the defenders of slavery, of the Confederacy. That's the point. And you can say, well, it's not about slavery. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. This is the trap, right? They're tearing down statues of Democrats and they're getting Republicans to defend the Democrats. Why? Take back your legacy, Republicans. Take back your legacy. You guys just gave it away. Take it back. It's yours. You're the party that freed the slaves. You're the party of Lincoln. You're the party that passed the Civil Rights Act, right? You're the party that did these things. You were the party that created a fusion uh, government with African-American voters, that you registered African-American voters as Republicans, and you won in Wilmington, North Carolina, and then you were overthrown by racist Democrats. This is your legacy, right? Your legacy is not uh, the Confederacy. It, like, it, it, it wasn't. The Republican Party, that was not tied to the Confederacy. Now, the Democratic Party, really racisty. Andrew Jackson, right, started the party. <laughs> they split off when they had Martin Van Buren, whatever. Anyway, they split off and they created the Democratic Party. And Andrew Jackson, really racisty kind of guy. He's the one who started the Democratic Party. He was the first nominee and all that. And so, uh, like, that's their legacy. So take back your own. And what they're doing is they're goading you into this trap. Okay, so let me get to some of the details here, because over the weekend, why this is why I'm talking about it, is because over the weekend in Raleigh, uh, they tore down uh, a couple statues, protesters tore down a couple statues, and then the government came in, state government came in and removed the, uh, the, uh, the others. So sp this is ABC News reporting. Spectators in North Carolina's capital cheered Sunday morning as work crews finished the job started by protesters on Friday night and removed a Confederate statue from the top of a 75-foot monument. Uh, news outlets reported that work crews acting on the order of Democratic North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper moved the, uh, removed the statue Sunday morning and then began taking down the obelisk upon which it stood. Um, yeah, it was like a really tall, uh, like, you know, post. And then there was a statue at the very top of it is like 75 feet tall or whatever. And then there were other statues all around it. And protesters tore some of those down. Sunday's work follows the removal of two other statues on the state capitol grounds on Saturday. Cooper ordered the statues removed after protesters toppled two other con uh, Confederate statues on Friday night, stringing one of them up by the neck and hanging it from a light pole. Quote, Monuments to white supremacy don't belong in places of allegiance, 
and it's past time that these painful memorials be moved in a legal, safe way, said Governor Cooper in a press release over the weekend. A 2015 law bars removal of the statues without approval from a state historical commission. But Governor Cooper said he's acting under a public safety exception to the law out of concern for the danger presented when protesters seek to topple the statues themselves. This is an interesting <laughs> this is an interesting use of the exception. Uh, I mean, brilliant lawyer in, don't get me wrong. And maybe this is why they put this exception in there. Uh, that, and by the way, this is now uh, one of the uh, arguments being advanced by a uh, a noted Democrat uh, political consultant, Thomas Mills. I'll get to that also. But this is uh, the exception that there's a public safety risk or something with this monument, and so you can take it down. And so Cooper's saying, well, it's a public safety risk because people are otherwise going to take it down. So the threat of people tearing it down prompts him to tear it down. And if that's the standard, then I don't know how you prevent anything from getting taken down, right? Like buildings. Seriously, all you have to do is uh, show up as a protester and pose some sort of a threat to the structure. And then it's like, well, I guess we've got to tear this down. Cooper has advocated the statue's removal for years. Republicans, though, blamed him for not ordering police to take a tougher stand Friday night to protect the memorials. Right. And this has been happening all over the place. Um, where police officers, or in this case, state police, uh, or uh, sorry, state capitol police, uh, were hanging around uh, the statues, and then as soon as the demonstrators move in, the cops just walk away, and they just let the mob tear all the stuff down, which then gives the impression, if not the obvious uh, excuse, that the lawmakers wanted this to happen. And let's be clear, that is what's going on here. Lawmakers are totally fine with these statues getting taken down because it saves them from having to take a position. They don't have to they don't have to anger people like, oh, well, you know, now people will be mad. Like, why didn't you like Republicans have been saying, why didn't you have the cops protect these monuments? Well, the answer is obvious. This is Occam's razor, right? This is the obvious explanation is that he, he did not have the cops protect the monuments because he wanted them to come down. In Wilmington, the Democratic mayor, Bill Sappho, imposed a curfew in narrow areas surrounding two Confederate monuments to try to thwart any vandalism or destruction. The curfew from uh, runs from 730 until 7 a.m. And it began Saturday night and it lasts five nights. So that's one uh, way you're going to create a curfew. But just around the monuments... <laughs> So I guess outside this perimeter, everybody can congregate, make their preparations, get all of the rope and, uh, and you know, straps and everything necessary to take the monument down. <laughs> so you can do your staging during the curfew, just as long as you're outside of the curfew area. Protesters, by the way, across the country this weekend uh, and over the last uh, week, I should say, uh, have been targeting all sorts of statues. Uh, that have offended them because, after all, if speech is violence, then uh, statues, like, that's, that, that's even worse violence, I guess, right? Um, they have uh, also been targeting the founding fathers of America who were slaveholders like George Washington, um, Thomas Jefferson, uh, New York, uh, the American Museum of Natural History in New York City uh, is now removing its statue of Teddy Roosevelt, um, in California, this is my favorite, they tore down the statue of President Ulysses Grant. <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant. 
the Union general that won the Civil War and freed the slaves. They 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 tore down his statue because apparently at some point in his history he owned a slave. He freed it, but he owned a slave. So he freed the he freed that slave and then proceeded to uh, lead a military effort to free all the slaves and preserve the Union. And they tore his statue down. They tore down a statue uh, of an abolitionist. They tore down or defiled uh, statues uh, of uh, Cervantes, the uh, the writer, Miguel Cervantes, right? The, they, yeah, they, they tore his statue down. Um, Cervantes, if I recall correctly, if I remember my uh, literary history, he was a slave himself at some point. So uh, Francis Scott Key, who wrote The Star-Spangled Banner, he got uh, his statue torn down, as well as Junipero Serra. I'd never heard of this person, but apparently he is credited with bringing Roman Catholicism to the Western United States. So that. So what is the limiting principle here? Again, I ask, what is the limiting principle? Is it now anybody who owned a slave? Is that the idea? Anyone who owned a slave. And what of that then person or institution? I've noticed there's a big effort underway right now on the right. Conservatives are demanding. They're helping fuel this uh, this effort to cancel Yale, the college, <laughs> the university, cancel Yale. You know why? Apparently the guy who started it is, is named after Yale. I don't know his first name. It's one of those weird old, you know, first names. Um, but the guy who started it apparently owned a lot of slaves, a lot of slaves, big racisty racist guy. And so the conservatives are all about now, okay, well, here you go. Cancel culture. Yale needs to be renamed so now you have people on the right that are picking out targets for the mob they're like okay here you go why don't you go after this and they're and they're picking out left-wing targets it's not difficult folks it's not difficult because these uh democrats as i said earlier right they've been in charge of govco for a very very long time and now they're like, oh, but we're progressive. We're move forward, right? I would point out that the similarities, like the 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 collectivist ideology, that's the thing that unites the old Democrat Party and the new one. Like they may say, oh, all the racists left after you know LBJ signed the Republican Civil Rights Act. All those racists became Republican. Like that's literally their argument for some reason. I don't understand why they believe this to be the case that uh, that LBJ, the Democrat president who signed the Civil Rights Act, a Civil Rights Act that was drawn up by the Republicans and right, run by the Republicans. They The Republicans did the Civil Rights Act, and um, for some reason all the racists got so mad at LBJ that they all left that party and went to the Republican Party <laughs> that did the Civil Rights Act. Anyway, that's whatever you got to tell yourself. Look, if I... Seriously, like if that was your party's history, wouldn't you be trying to make up any excuse to explain it away? But the thing that connects uh, the philosophies and the reason why it is uh, why the party has uh, has been uh, so uh, uh, calcified, right? It hasn't uh, hasn't gone away. You would think like the party would have been completely destroyed at some point um, because of its failures, right? After the or during the Civil War and whatnot. Well, what happened? Uh, it, it, the uniting principle is still the same, which is uh, you don't own the fruits of your labor, right? That there is the collective that's more important than you. Like That's the sort of uniting philosophy throughout all the history of the Democratic Party. It really is uh, remarkable. Like that's It's collective versus individualism. That's really what the arguments are about. 
the great debate here. And I'm not saying that the Republican Party is the perfect vessel uh, or messenger here for the individualism argument, but it's the best one that that we have, right? It's the only one we have. And even then, it's infected with a lot of collectivist thought. But that's the, that's the well, yes, the Libertarian Party, but, you know, until their, like, leaders stop getting on stage and stripping naked at the conventions, you know? I mean, like, it's it's... It's a tough sell to a lot of people. Have you ever seen a photo of the Blue Ridge Mountains so stunning that you couldn't look away? Well, that was me when I first saw Stacy Redmond's work at RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stacy is from Western North Carolina, shooting landscapes for two decades after he realized life is short. You don't get time back. So do what you love. Don't regret not spending time with family or chasing your dream. His work is brilliant, striking, and easily affordable for any space. See for yourself at RedRockPhotoNC.com. Use promo code PETE for 20% off. That's redrockphotonc.com. Have you been trying to set up or improve your business's website? It can be overwhelming for any of us. I know it was for me. So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you with logos, graphics, photos, and online stores, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. For professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith Design. Make your site look professional and user-friendly for your customers and you so you can adapt quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. The show is also made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Current events have impacted us all in many different ways, and maybe you need to sell your house. But you're thinking, I don't want the traffic coming through my house right now. Well, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they've got investors ready to tour your home virtually and potentially make a cash offer, saving you the hassle and stress of buyers having to walk through your home. Start out with a video consult with Rowena Patton. She's the only agent I would call if I'm buying or selling a house. You should, too. Call her today. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. The show is also made possible by Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Are you ready for disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? For more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's an old-school, traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, dog tags, gear, Old Grouch's on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun, and at oldgrouch.com. Here in Asheville, North Carolina, there is a monument in the downtown uh, square. It's called Pack Square, uh, and it looks like the Washington Monument. It's called the Vance Monument, and it's named after Zebulon Vance, who was the uh, governor of North Carolina during the Civil War. Uh, he was actually originally opposed to secession. Then when the South seceded, North Carolina seceded with them. Uh, then he uh, became a military officer and uh, then he became governor and uh, he was a racist, too. He had slaves. He was a racist. OK, uh, so they uh, but he was from Buncombe County here, which is where Asheville is. And so they built him a monument and um the he was um he was also i mentioned this before in an earlier episode he was a guy uh as most people are you know there was they are complex but he also gave a big speech about jewish people and so jewish people were always appreciative of what he did to help promote religious tolerance towards jews after the civil war anyway uh, and by the way that uh, speech and it was a book as well called the scattered nation all right so 
the monument is down there, and today's Citizen Times, or sorry, yesterday's Asheville Citizen Times newspaper had a uh, guest columnist, one Lauren Gold, wrote an opinion piece. She says, I am a descendant of Zebulon Vance, and I believe his monument should be taken down immediately. More specifically, I am a lineal successor of the Baird family, so it's Zebulon Baird Vance, um, who were the original settlers of Asheville and Weaverville. My many times great uncle Zebulon Baird Vance was a Confederate military officer and slaver and notable racist. A monument was dedicated in his name in 1898, and today it sits in the center of downtown Asheville. I agree with those who want it removed and replaced by something that honors black Americans instead. Now, I do find this interesting. Like, why why would you take down one monument and, you know, that's a race that honors a race, you know, racist uh, governor, but the whole point is because of the racism involved and because you're trying to highlight race with that monument and you want to take it down and you want to put it up with something that honors a particular race again. Like, why wouldn't you use it as an opportunity to, I don't know, unify everybody around a single concept? See, I, I've talked about this for years. The concept of America. If we don't have a unifying idea about what this is all about, then we're done. We're done. We're going to splinter apart into all of these different factions because there isn't any unifying principle any longer. And it seems like this would be a good opportunity for people to find something to unite around. And I know this is difficult, particularly nowadays when, you know, there are no sports to be watched. That's unfortunately, it's one of the downsides to the COVID um pandemic is that now we don't even get to cheer for sports teams any longer um so that what is it that unites us there has to be something that unites us and if we don't have that any longer and maybe we don't then maybe we shouldn't be putting up any monuments until we figure that out anyway um she says my grandparents cared a great deal about our family history and would likely be sad to see what i'm doing today but i am a beneficiary of a system designed for people who look like me and while i cannot undo the horrific injustices committed by my lineage i have a responsibility to use my whiteness to support necessary changes where i can monument removal is a baby step towards dismantling racial hierarchy black americans are denied basic human rights and dignities and are murdered in the street without consequence. There is a... Wait. What? Is that... What does that mean? You know, This is one of the things. If you really want to have an honest conversation about who's murdering whom, and I have a feeling that this is where it's going to get, and I think a lot of people are going to get offended very quickly once you start looking at the crime stats, and once people start arguing back to you, because right now there are a lot of people who are just sitting back and watching you eat your own. That's because like this Democrat on Democrat action, this these leftists who are tearing down Democrat statues, a lot of folks on the right are like, <laughs> look at that. Oh no, don't take down Woodrow Wilson, that awful person. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan. Anyway, um, at some point, and I think it's start where we are approaching the point where people are becoming more and more aware of this, but people will start arguing back that if you really do care about this kind of thing, like murdered, uh, that African-Americans are being murdered in the street without consequence, what does that mean? Who's doing the murdering? 
Let me take a sidestep off of the path here on the Confederate monuments to just kind of run through this really quickly. The FBI compiles all these stats. And I've said this before, when it comes to violent crime, first off, in America, we are way less uh, uh, crime-ridden now than we have been in decades. Our, our violent crime rate has been going down for decades. Uh, secondly, if you are going to be a victim of a violent crime, chances are it's somebody you know. The vast majority of people who get victimized in, by violent crime, uh, they are victimized by people that they know, all right? Then when you start looking at the data even uh, 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 more at a more granular level, you start looking at, or granular, sorry, level, uh, you start seeing uh, patterns emerge. And the patterns are pretty consistent, which is if you're a white person, chances are you're going to be victimized by a white person. Because again, somebody you know, but also most violent crime occurs within your own racial demographic, right? Blacks commit violent crimes against blacks. Hispanics commit violent crimes against Hispanics, and whites commit uh, violent crimes against whites, by and large, right? Now, when you break it out and you look at, okay, well, let's look at the, uh, let's look at who commits violent crime outside of their race. When you go to that data point, all of a sudden, all of this, uh, uh, all of the narrative that you see all the time that, you know, blacks are being hunted by white people all through the streets and everything all the time. It's actually not true. Actually not true. It's way more common. It's the norm that whites are victimized by blacks. Far greater numbers. Far greater proportions. I'm not saying why that is. I don't know why that is. I'm just telling you that's what the data shows. And so now I'm starting to see, and maybe you have too, I'm starting to see social media posts of these videos from, you know, parking lots and stores home videos, or not home videos, but, uh, you know, cell phone videos that people shoot of white people being attacked violently by black people. You're starting to see, I'm starting to see them, and maybe you will too, but you can't tell me that that's not in response to the narrative that's being pushed and has been pushed by the media for my entire professional career. Now, I know, like, uh, African-Americans talk about, like, well, you watch the news and they say it's, a, you know, a black suspect and they'll never say it's a white suspect. And that's not true, by the way. That's not true. As one who worked as a reporter in newsrooms, um, I can tell you, when you give sus uh, suspect descriptions and the person is at large and you don't have a photo of the person, then you have to identify white or black. You have to say this, you know, this is the description of the suspect. But there is this idea that somehow or another, oh, they're only showing the mugshots of our people. Well, they're showing the mugshots because, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's sex, it's next. This is what media does. They broadcast the news, and the news, crime and, you know, cops and crime stories are the easiest ones to do. And so, oh, look at that. We got this uh, police report. We got a narrative written uh, from the police department. And, oh, look at that. We have some photos now. We got, we got some video of the scene. And there's their mug shots, and boom, they're up, right? Now, does this reinforce the idea that, you know, there are criminals among us all over the place, and they're all of one race? Maybe so, right? This is all very complex, and I'm not making judgments here to say that this is true, this is not true for this uh, uh, for this part of it. Um, but, I, uh, but I can tell you that the suspect descriptions, when I was working in newsrooms, it was always, if you don't know who uh, the person is because you don't have any video or you don't have any imagery to show people, then you have to give the description of their race. Otherwise, it's no value. 
right? Otherwise, it's of no value. So now, look, you can also say, well, there, you know, the, the crime stats are all juiced because uh, of targeted enforcement or racist enforcement against African-Americans. OK, but the crime stats are what they are. Now, back to the monuments. Black Americans are denied, she says, basic human rights and dignities and are murdered in the streets without consequence. There, unless maybe she's talking about cops right there, the police killing blacks. Um, there is an urgent need, by the way, if that's the case, and she's unclear here, so this is why I'm kind of running down both of these potential angles. But if she's talking about police, like there are a whole bunch of police reforms we've talked about. Like that's that's a good idea. I think some of those are good uh, good ideas. But like the cops in Minneapolis, they've all been charged, right? Um, there's also another element here, which is the resisting arrest component. That if you resist arrest, chances are way higher that something bad's going to happen to you. So I don't know. Maybe there needs to be some sort of a reassessment and inclusion of that um, uh, data point. How many are actually resisting arrest and why do so many uh, people resist arrest now versus maybe in the past? I don't know. Anyway, there is an urgent need, she says, for large scale political and cultural action on local and national levels, such as defunding the police and prison systems, leading to abolition of these institutions altogether. Do you have an idea about her politics now? Yeah, she's insane. Um, but at this moment, removing the Zebulon Vance obelisk is a small part of the greater change our country needs to see. It does not honor North Carolina. It honors the atrocities North Carolina was built on. Uh, by the way, I did skip over one of the sentences earlier because I thought it would give away the game pretty uh, quickly when she says, I recognize my privilege as a white person and want to amplify the message that maintaining glorification of suffering is intolerable. And then my favorite part, the bio. Lauren Gold is a writer and lineal descendant of Zebulon Vance. They grew up in Atlanta and now live in Brooklyn. They grew up in Atlanta and now live in Brooklyn. <laughs> they not she she has preferred pronouns folks she's choosing to use they she grew up sorry they grew up in atlanta and now live in brooklyn so she's a left-wing hipster lunatic that's so now you know that's who uh, zebulon vance's great 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 niece is <laughs> of course which by the way this is part of the uh the shift that occurred she's a good example of it people from the south who go up to the north a lot of these a lot of lefties a lot of democrats over the course of a century you know they all went up north to these centers of population to the industrialized north uh, because the south was so poor for so long right and so you had people then from the north uh that uh, sought to make it big down south. And so there was this big migration shift that occurred. Yeah, it was a huge shift that occurred, which is really at the heart of uh, the sort of the big lie the Democrats tell themselves that oh, all the racists became Republicans. Um, again, I feel the need to point this out. There have always been racists in all the parties. Okay, there have always been racists in all the parties, all political parties. There have been racists in every walk of life, I'm sure in every civic organization, in the military, like, yeah, there are racists. There are people with prejudices and bigotry and all sorts of stuff. But see here, this is what's, it's become sort of a heuristic. It's just a shorthand. It's a way to say uh, Southerners equals white folks. Southerners are racist. Therefore, you know, all of you voters for Republicans are all racists. It's all just, you're, 
the, they're simply it's simply window dressing for what they want to say, but they know they can't say it directly because they'll sound kind of foolish, you know. Um, when they make these arguments, I'll get to that. I swear, I'm going to get to it. There's a, a piece by Kevin Williams from a few years ago that I've saved because of this. Uh, uh, this is what's at play and has been for a while. Um, so, real quick though, there is a problem with this state law in North Carolina with this monuments law. Uh, a monument, memorial, or work of art owned by the state may not be removed, relocated, or altered in any way without the approval of the North Carolina Historical Commission. So it requires approval of this commission, which, by the way, is appointed now by Roy Cooper. But an object of remembrance may not be relocated to a museum, cemetery, or mausoleum unless it was originally placed at such a location. All right, so now... So the law restricts taking down a statue and moving it to a museum. Can't do that. Except, it says, the circumstances under which an object of remembrance may be relocated are any of the following. And it talks about like construction, regu- uh, if you're doing like a road realignment or stuff like that. Um, but that's it. Uh, except for when appropriate measures are required by the state or a political subdivision of the state to preserve the object. So that's what they're using. It's like, well, it's going to get vandalized and torn down. And so in order to preserve it, we got to move it. <laughs> that's what they're using now. That's the. Right? So, I mean, that's why the governor's now taking them down. Now, Thomas Mills at the uh, at politics NC dot <laughs> com, his website, uh, he is a political consultant. He's a Democrat and um uh, political consultant. He's run campaigns and such, and uh, he's the founder of this Politics NC website. Um, and this has got, well, this is a take. I will give him that. It's a take. He says uh, that he has a feeling uh, that uh, Republicans are, um, uh, that this was all a setup by Republicans, essentially. This is a setup by Republicans. Um, he says, that they're getting what they wanted, a mob to pull down the monuments that they protected. And so now they get to be the victims again. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, dude, and maybe I'll tell them this on Twitter, but um, dude, this is a victim culture we're in. Everybody's playing the victim. Don't that it, it, it can't, that carries no purchase any longer. This accusation like, oh my gosh, they're claiming to be the victim. anyway. it doesn't matter. Everybody claims to be the victim all the time about everything. We are we are a nation of victims and grievance collectors. This is this is what the left has wrought. This is you you've transitioned us. You won the culture war. You shifted our culture from a dignity culture to a victim culture, right? So congratulations, you've shifted us from a merit culture to a victim culture. That's where we are. Everybody gets credit now for um for being a victim of some kind. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to go into this in depth this week uh, on victimhood and the mindset of victims. So he says Republicans are fuming that Capitol Police apparently stood down and didn't prevent the protesters from vandalizing the statues. They blamed Cooper for allowing mob rule. And they have a point, he says. But in this instance, it's a bit overblown. I, I like how he like, OK, fine. He begrudgingly admits that, yes, Republicans have a point that um the cops should have stopped the vandalism from occurring, but they didn't. And so uh, they're blaming Cooper for that because, of course, they are because he told them to stand down. Right. He told them to leave. But the protesters had a specific target, Confederate statues. They weren't threatening the Capitol or businesses or even other statues for now and this weekend. 
right? Because they did actually target businesses, right? Downtown Raleigh got all boarded up and bombed out and damaged and everything from all the, the looting and the rioting. Like, again, I do admire the ability of the left to just pivot as if yesterday never happened. And we're all just supposed to forget what we saw over the last month with the looting and the rioting and the burning and the violence and all of that, right? Uh, he says Republicans scream that there's a process to remove the monuments that should have been followed, but they've been moving the goalposts to protect the Confederate statues. See, they passed a law in 2015 uh, to require the commission, right, as I mentioned earlier, to approve removing any of the monuments. Before that, local governments and the Department of Administration could have them removed. Um, adding bureaucratic obstacles to protect the monuments begged for protesters to remove them on their own. See, so now he's saying, see, so the Republicans wrote the law in 2015, so that so they set the trap, and that's what he's <laughs> accusing them of, that they set this trap that if... Um, that if the violence was the only way to get the statues down, then people would commit the violence, and then Republicans can be like, boo-hoo-hoo, we're the victims here. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Tyler on Twitter said uh, this was a preemptive Republicans pounce framing of the story. Again, impressive. Um, he says, look, we will see some excesses, noting the statue of Ulysses S. Grant that was taken down, right? But he says... Uh, the mob just really couldn't control their impulse to destroy. I'm not kidding. This is what he says. Governors and mayors will need to determine where to draw the line. Random property destruction is unacceptable, and protests that become mobs should not be empowered. If the public begins to suspect mob rule, people will turn against the protesters, fueling a reaction that could become violent and politically volatile. Too late, Thomas. Too late. That's where we are already. Yeah. People are already turning against the protesters. The public already suspects mob rule because that is precisely what is occurring. The protests and the attack on the monuments, he says, could also impact the elections this fall. And this is really what he's uh, afraid of. This is why he wrote the piece. He says the GOP's pro-Confederate base is outraged. <laughs> then they see these incidents as a continuation of the culture war that they've been losing. They are coming out to vote for their champion, Donald Trump, in November, and the protesters better come, too. This is what he's afraid of. He's afraid that these protesters are going to motivate Republicans to turn out to vote. Okay? Kevin Williamson, writing at the National Review, this was a couple of years ago, but I kept it because I keep files, because that's what journalism is about. Anyway, um, he says, many of the monuments and statues now being abominated and disassembled were not erected in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War, but some years later, often in reaction to such modest advances in the political and social condition of African Americans at the early 20th century um, and some were nothing short of consecrated shrines to white supremacy erected to Southern political powers in league with such miscreants as the KKK. To the extent that today's reaction against these monuments is, in essence, Democrats cleaning up their own mess, well, there's some justice to that. But there would have been some justice to it in 1938 or 1964 as well, right? The current attack on Confederate monuments is only another front in the left's endless culture comp, the left is committed to always being on offense in the culture wars. And with Donald Trump and his white resentment politics installed in the White House and Republicans lined up queasily behind him, 
the choice of going after Confederate totems is clever. It brings out the kooks and the cranks, and some respectable conservatives feel obliged to defend them. Getting Republicans to relitigate the Civil War is a great victory for the Democrats who were, after all, on the wrong side of it as a matter of historical fact, rather than embrace their party's proudest and finest legacy. This is what I've been saying. Republicans need to reclaim their legacy. Now, he goes on to say that monuments have a way of being repurposed. Rome, for example, is overwhelmingly a Christian city, and its most famous monument is the Colosseum, where Christians were put to death for sport and for political gain, right? The older and wiser cultures learn to absorb, they learn to repurpose and to allow uh, the patina of age to cover up the lingering pangs of historical wrongs. And that's good, he says. You cannot walk 25 feet in Rome without seeing some monument associated with some ancient horror or a statue of some god-awful emperor but it would be a shame if they took them all down just for political or moralistic purposes, right? And not all of these are important works of art either. Some of them are just old. Like, that's it. They're just old statues. And he says, look, conservatives have a bit of a soft spot for old things. That's that's part of it too. Part of the conservative mind has a soft spot for old things. Like, oh, look at that. Yeah, that's isn't that cool. <laughs> right? Oh, it's an old thing. Oh, that's, that's an interesting piece of history. Right? The conquering North indulged Southern jealousy of Southern honor for a pretty good reason, he says. Their desire for peace. The Civil War had been brutal, and the South was, and this part of the story is not as widely understood as it should be, the South was desperately poor and remained essentially a third world country within the United States until post-World War II era. Right? I mean, there's no sense poking them for no good reason, he says. Anti-Southern sentiment among Democrats now has grown, predictably, has grown with the migration of Southern voters to the Republican Party, a very long process that began in the early days of the New Deal, and it was actually confirmed uh, only towards the end of the 20th century, so, you know, the 1990s or so. Uh, Mississippi, for example, had one Republican governor in all of the 20th century. As the country moved politically in a more conservative direction, and Uh, As the locus of conservative power moved south, anti-Southern invective became way more common among progressives who a generation or two before had been all too happy to do business with William Fulbright or Woodrow Wilson. National panics over the Confederacy, just like the New York Times crusades against homelessness, these tend to coincide with Republican presidencies. Are you aware of that? It's not a coincidence, right? (laughs) The war on statues serves two purposes. The first, to humiliate Southerners in retribution for their support of Republican politicians and conservative causes, particularly religious and social causes. That's the first purpose. Humiliate Southerners because they support Republicans. The second is to help Democrats win elections without white men. I have said this before. If one racial group, if African Americans voted... Uh, in demographic parity, basically, if they voted the same way as other racial demographics in America, Democrats would never win again. They just wouldn't win. They're, they're, they need they need like ninety plus percent of black votes, right? And Democrats know this. If only this is what he says. So Democrats need to win elections, though, and they need to do it without white men. So what do you need to do? You you, you need to demonize the white guys, and the Democrats are doing that. 
even white male Democrats are doing it. Listen to this stat. If only whites voted, the last Democratic president would have been LBJ. And if only white men voted, Mitt Romney would have won 45 states in 2012. <laughs> right? That's what the Democratic Party is facing. Does it make more sense now? The left's vandalism is intended mainly to get a rise out of the right in the hopes of getting some Republicans to wrong foot himself over a racial question. Republicans were on the winning side of the Civil War the first time around. There's no need to join the losing side after the fact. John Daniel Davidson, writing a couple years ago, this would have been 2015, I guess, um, at thefederalist.com. He says that the goal is to divide the country into irreconcilable camps for the purpose of waging political warfare. In the end, it's really about giving up on the idea of America as a place where, despite our many differences, we can be a united and prosperous people. Right? This is what the hallmark of the left is. Right? It is destruction. It's iconoclasm. This is what they do. It's the modern Democratic Party. It's the tearing down of these institutions. And so, no, I'm not surprised that, that the left is eating its own. It was bound to happen. It had to happen. They're cultural Marxists. They need perpetual revolution. And they need to have an enemy. And eventually, when they run out of real enemies, they'll start, you know, attacking themselves. Because they're the only people left. That's how that happens. That's a wrap for this episode. Please remember, subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate it. And uh, maybe consider becoming a patron of the program. Get cool stuff and exclusive content. Thanks so much for your support. I appreciate it. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>